Welcome to another leadership podcast from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. Because it's a very long offering, but that's, that's okay, right? Right? How many of you love to give? Good. So, you get, so many of you are so, so faithful. Some of you are just learning that. I promise you, get buckle up because the generosity of the Lord is, is amazing. Um, and again, his, his return into our lives isn't just financial. Every time I watch someone come into the church and experience God, finances were involved with that somehow. Well, the church shouldn't be about money. Will you name to me one other thing that's not about money in this lifetime, and then I'll get on board with your idea. Because there's nothing else that money's not connected to. So money is actually spiritual. Your money's spiritual, right? Amen. The Bible talks more about money than it does about heaven or hell combined. It's a pretty practical thing. Okay, I'm going to move on. Some of you are irritated with that and don't want to hear any more about it. So you'll get over it, okay? Uh, We're in our series entitled Identity. Uh, The QR code, if you need to use it to follow along with the notes, I'll try to get on the horse and run faster so I don't get bogged down here. As we've been talking through this series about identity, I've talked to you about the fact that you have a perceived identity and you also have a biblical identity. Your perceived identity is that ever-changing sum total of who you are based on the voices of your genetics, of your appearance, of your abilities, of your qualities, your attitudes, your beliefs, your experiences, your actions, and others' opinions. And the reason why that's ever-changing is because all of those things are ever-changing. Your appearance is changing. Hopefully for the better, right? My hair keeps improving every year, and I'm so thankful for that. But sometimes things go downhill, um, so your identity, if it's that perceived identity, it's based on those things, will be ever-changing. Now, your biblical identity is the never-changing sum total of who you are based on what God's voice continues to speak over your life ever since conception. And I would strongly invite you to lean into your biblical identity because your biblical identity is different than your perceived identity. And one of the beautiful things about God at work in your life is he will help you to see you for who you really are as you begin to see him for who he really is. It's amazing how that works. And we also talked in week one about the fact that from the moment uh, that you were conceived, you've been struggling to discover your identity because of all the voices that have assaulted um, a, a, have actually created a counterfeit version of you. And so when you look out through your eyes, when you think about yourself, as you interact with other people, there is a sense for all of us of who am I? Who do they think I am? Am I, am I trapped in something that I don't want to be? And there's this fight to become the person that you really are, that God says you are. And tonight I want to have you look at a portion of scripture that's pretty amazing. It comes out of the book of Luke chapter 1, verse 59 through 63. It says, and on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. If you don't know what that is, ask your parents. Please don't ask me after service. Awkward silence. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. They said to her, none of your relatives is called by his name. And they made signs to the father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet because at this moment he was not able to speak. 
and he wrote down on the tablet, his name is John. And the Bible says they all wondered because it wasn't a family name. So I've entitled uh, tonight's message, Deleting Nicknames. And I'm talking about the bad nicknames that we end up on our name tags. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you help me to preach it so that it's conveyed, understood. And Holy Spirit, we, we need you to bring revelation. You talk about all kinds of concepts, but if you don't make it clear before us, we, we can't shift into the better version of ourselves, the, the, the one Jesus that you died for. You died so that we could become the best versions of ourselves, set free from what circumstances say we are, from what others have said we are, from what our failures say we are, from um, some of the molds that we've been pressed into. You invite us out of that through your life, your death, and your resurrection so that we can be uh, transformed into your image. And so we pray for that. Holy Spirit, allow us to have that revelation. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. So my question for you is, where did you get your name? Some of you know. Some of you might not know. Uh, you might have been named after someone in your family. Maybe there's a family name. Maybe your middle name is from your grandfather or your uncle. I am actually named after my father, but I have a different middle name. My middle name is Michael. My dad's middle name is Hawes. Hawes is the last name of my grandmother, her maiden name. They gave that to my father. And when I was born, they gave me my grandfather's first name and my uncle's first name. So I am actually not a junior. And when it came the moment to name our son, I said to Rowena, what should we call him? And she said, oh, of course, he should be Stephen Michael Parrish Jr. And I said, ah, and the angels sang. And they said, so let it be written, so let it be done. So Steve is actually a junior. Somehow, though, there is no Steve Michael Parrish III. And with each child that comes into this world, I prophesy the will of God, and these people are rebellious, and it hasn't happened yet, but we still have probably Steve and Mary will have seven or eight more kids, and uh, Val and Les will probably, between them, have a hundred, so we've got plenty of ground to make up for there. Okay, you might be named after someone in your family that your family loved and respected. I know that actually Steve and Mary named Benjamin, Benjamin, because of the close relationship they have with Paige Ackler. And you're like, well, I don't even get, well, Paige is not actually Paige's first name. His first name is Benjamin. And so they named Ben after Benjamin. So that's someone that they loved and respected. Apparently no Steve Michael Parrish Jr., but there's a Benjamin in my family. You can see where I rate in the family tree. Maybe you're named after the meaning of your name. Maybe the meaning of your name meant something to the people who named you. Like, Steve means crowned one. <laughs> that would be this crown that's developing over the years. Uh, or you were named Rowena, which name means joy. I looked it up. Or Leslie, Garden of Holly. Or Valerie, strong, brave, and healthy. Or Eldon, the boss. <laughs> or Benjamin, son of my right hand, son of strength. Or Riley, Island Meadow. Island. If you know that girl, yes, that's the correct name for her. Or maybe you were named after current trending names, 2021. Olivia or Liam. 
the number one names in the United States. Back to 1980, my time. Jennifer and Michael. Back to 1966 when I was born, Lisa and Michael. Actually, the name Michael, it takes it generation after generation, it rocks, okay? 1944, Mary and James. 1921, the farthest I could go back, Mary and John. So maybe your name was a name that was trending, the name of a movie star, the name of somebody who was admired in society. But with the name that you have, we also have a tendency to acquire nicknames along the way. Some that are given to us by others, some that we receive from our friends, some that we receive from enemies, some are based on experiences or physical attributes. One of our, our gingers in the church mentioned that his nickname was Fire, and it kind of stuck, and I thought that that was pretty cool. We had nicknames for our kids that we made up. I remember about 2002 when we first moved to Vancouver, sitting around the dinner table, we would make up family songs that I will not sing to you, but are hilarious if you can get to hear them at some point. And I actually, I don't even know if the kids remember this, I gave everyone in the family a nickname based on kings, queens, princes, and princesses. And so naturally, Rowena was named Queen Hatella. And I thought that, my kids thought that was disgusting. And I also named myself, a little Star Wars tribute here, Fartolo the Hut. Fartolo the Hut. Okay, some of you are like, I need a new church. Um, naturally, Steve being a junior, we named him Prince Fartolino. Um, we named Leslie Princess Barfolina. Um, Leslie had the ability to projectile vomit since she was a small child. And we nicknamed Valerie Princess Poofalina because very curly hair was always out to here. And I did not get permission to share any of this, but that's okay. <laughs> Nicknames tend to stick, sometimes whether they're good or bad. And those things that want to attach to us sometimes aren't even official nicknames, but there may be situations that happen that kind of stick, although that maybe nobody says it. It's kind of stuck. It's got added to who you are and you carry it around like a name tag. I've got a few name tags here. I'm gonna put my Steve name tag on me because that's my official name that my parent, plus I, I like my signature. I try to pretend that I'm a doctor at different times, but I've got my name Steve here. Uh, but there's other names that end up added to our life, whether again, nicknames, or they're how people see us or how we see ourselves. Uh, we see ourselves through the lens of that name, and we kind of carry it with us wherever we go, into every situation, into every circumstance. It comes along with us, and it can limit us if it's not anchored in our biblical identity, because many of these things are our perceived identities based on genetics, based on family, based on circumstances, based on people's opinions, right? And so I want to lean into a couple of the biblical accounts where people acquired nicknames that should not have been a part of their identity that very possibly might have been added to you in some way, some shape, or some fat fashion. Deleting nicknames that are based on several different things. You know, believe it or not, we add to the identity of who we are or we pick up kind of a nickname, whether spoken or not, sometimes simply based on either our abilities or our lack of abilities. 
Now, it's really cool to be known for something that you've been able to accomplish when it's cool, but sometimes that doesn't actually help you down the road. I remember a girl in uh, our youth group who was a junior who was ranked number three or number four in the state of Washington as a cross-country runner and as a junior about the second week into the season while running, didn't realize it developed a stress fracture and her leg broke. That was the last time that she ever ran again. And the problem was her identity was so anchored in running that without being able to run anymore, it's like her whole world had ended. And so we look in the scripture and I have up behind me an example of this. Many of you will recognize this person, John the Baptist. Believe it or not, his last name is not the Baptist, okay? His last name is not Baptist. His middle name is not the, but his name is John, and he is an individual who baptized people, which is super cool. When you read the scripture, he actually sets out on the scene before Jesus he actually sets the stage for Jesus. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. The fact that he baptized people was incredible. He was the most powerful force in the time of Jesus prior to Jesus stepping onto the scene. And he actually paved the way for Jesus to step into his ministry. He baptized Jesus. And the Bible is so, speaks so highly respectfully of John. And it mentions here that he's John the Baptist. In fact, if we were to put a name tag on him. First is John, but it, then it's Baptist, the Baptist. But while John the Baptist was an honorable and highly respected title, there came a day where he's no longer baptizing anyone. See, as Jesus' ministry got bigger, he had to step back in the shadows. And who are you if you are no longer the Baptist, if your name is John? Who are you if you are no longer that thing that you put so much value on that you can do. If your, your value is how beautiful you are or how well you can sing or how, how uh, an ability with your hands that you could do or a sporting event that you're able to accomplish or your charisma, what happens if that is no longer in your arsenal? Because the truth is you are not who or what you can do. You are far more than your abilities. Because after you can no longer run, you're still here on this planet and you have a God-given identity. You know, who will you be when you're no longer able to do that thing that you are known for? In my senior year in high school, pretty proud of it, I'm the I was the captain of the wrestling team in my school. Co-captain, but I didn't write that, I can assure you. <laughs> captain, that's all you need to know. That's all I'm telling you. And as captain of the wrestling team, that's a pretty honor, pretty amazing honor that I never expected to experience. It was based on the fact my junior year, I, my record was incredible. I'd gone to state championships and I got beat in the last second of the semi or the semifinals. And instead of going to the finals, I ended up taking fourth place in state. But that's still not too bad. And so that's who I was, and that's how I became captain, except for between my junior year and my senior year. Now that I'm captain, and it says captain on my, my sports shirts, you know, my, my wrestling outfit that we put over the underwear that you wrestle in. It's just weird, I admit it. But on my, my gym shirt, it said captain. I think it probably said co-captain, but captain for you, okay? 
But my senior year, I put on some weight. I ended up a couple weight classes higher than where I had been before. And I had a barely 50-50 season. And I remember walking out onto the mat as a guy who's winning one match and losing the next match, unlike the previous year. And so really, I felt like that the captain was actually somebody I used to be the previous year. Who am I this year? I don't feel like I could really live up to this. When you look through the life of John the Baptist, you, you discover that there was a season where his ability was amazing, but then there was a season where it was no longer required because Jesus was there. As a parent, if all your identity is in raising your kids, the day they move out is going to be a very hard day. It's a wonderful thing to raise children, but you're more than a mom. You're more than a dad. Your life isn't while the spotlights are shining on you. The spotlight of heaven is shining on your life every day that you live. Whether you're winning or losing based on your abilities, or you're just being faithful in the kingdom of God. John went through some incredible discouragement after he stepped off of the stage, even though he knew that that's what the Lord wanted him to do. You know, he was ended up in prison. And um, while he was in prison, Matthew chapter 11, he hears that Jesus is doing well. But if you read the story, he's announced to the whole world that Jesus is the Messiah. He has said, I'm going to decrease so that he can increase. They said, are you, are you the Savior? He's like, no, 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 he's the Savior. And yet, while he was in prison... He sends word to Jesus, he sends word to the disciples, and he says this. He asks a question. He says, are you really the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Like in his discouragement of no longer being, because you could no longer say John the Baptist. You'd really have to call him John used to be the Baptist. And so while in prison, he's like struggling with where he's at. Now, what's so cool is Jesus responds to encourage his identity. See, instead of just rebuking, why are, you, why are you doubting who I am, John? You baptized me. You saw the dove come out of the sky, land on me. You heard the voice out of heaven. This is my son, right? No, he didn't say that. He goes on to say, truly I say to you, and he's saying this to the crowd, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. He doesn't say there was no greater baptizer, he says there was no one greater born to women than John. He speaks to his identity. He's telling them, forget about the title Baptist. Heaven, heaven's behind you. Even though you're in jail right now, even though you're being persecuted. A little bit later in that same dialogue, he, he actually said of John to the crowd, if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah that it was, you've been waiting for to come to announce the way of the Lord. So who you are is not based on what you can do. Listen, try to do well. Strive to do well. Conquer. Excel. Get a promotion. Have a title. But do not allow your identity to be wrapped up in the title. Not in the world. Not in the church. Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom of God is not the pastor. He said it's the servant. And so as holding a title of pastor... My greatest way to excel is still to serve. It's not walking around showing off the fact, well, let me, let me write this on here. Pastor. Yes. Oh, I can feel the glory. Ugh. 
remember the first time that was put before my name as a 22-year-old. You know who I am? Pastor. Listen, there's been so many times if I could just hide that sticker. Be a servant. Okay, I'm getting all tangled in my stickers, which will happen. How about this? Delete the nicknames based on shortcomings. How many people in this room have a shortcoming? How many people in this room, and I'm not talking about sin at this point. I'm talking about shortcoming. Don't, don't, don't hide your sinful behavior behind a shortcoming. Shortcoming is an inability or something that you lack, like you were at a deficit, okay? We're not talking about axe murderers. Well, that's just my shortcoming. No, that's sin, Okay. <laughs> But notice, uh, all throughout Scripture, we see titles like this given. It says, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. I hate that it says that. I mean, if you were Simon, would you really want your name showing up in the Bible as Simon the leper? And what I would challenge you to do as a believer is not allow those nicknames to be attached to the people in your world's life out of your mouth, because the world will lay that out. Simon was a man, I would say it this way, Simon happened to be a man who is dealing with leprosy at this point, but he is not a leper. You are not your shortcoming. I know the Bible lists it out that way, but you are not your shortcoming. Your child might be challenged, but don't put that title on them. Do not, I'm not saying ignore the obvious, okay, but... I had this dialogue, me and, me and Val were, dial, we were having a text message discussion and I said something to her about buying something that was way out of her budget and she said something along the lines of, I'm poor dad, I can't afford that. You are not poor. You may not have the resources for that in this season, but that's not who you are. You're not poor. And it was just a, it was a humorous dialogue back and forth, but the words you speak out of your mouth have prophetic power. I'm broke. You will be if you keep saying that. I'm broke. Because I'm going to tell you, you could tell the most talented child from a young age, you're stupid, you're stupid, you're stupid. It doesn't matter their brain power. They will buy into the fact that they're stupid. Why are some of the, you've seen it on the internet, some of the most beautiful young women, someone has convinced them that they're ugly and they are doing things to their physique that are horrifically disfiguring themselves to try to become something that someone else has said is beautiful. Words have incredible power. Your words over your own life have incredible power. Mom and dad, especially your words over your children. I mean, not everybody's going to be an NBA basketball star. But everybody can win at something. And you could be the best version of you, hands down. Speak that out. And when your child fails, uh, we don't have to ignore the obvious, but we don't have to dwell on the here and now. We can talk about the future and, yes, this happened, but I'm confident that if you apply yourself, you can excel. The thing is, if you put the title of Simon the leper, that's a lifetime sentence. And you know what I know about this story? That's not how it turns out. He was not always a leper. He had leprosy, but guess what? God can do the miraculous. And I know there are some big labels in the day and age that we live in. Oh, things that God could never heal anybody over, but the biggest disease of this day was leprosy. 
and it became a very easy thing regularly for Jesus to heal people. You know that if you had leprosy, you were labeled as diseased. You were continually in the process of dying. It was just a matter of when. You were dying one cell at a time, one appendage at a time, until you just died. And in the fact your, your disease was so horrific, everybody was nervous about it getting on them. You were cast outside of the city. You were banned from society. You had a special designated place you had to leave. But on top of that, you were not even allowed to come into a gathering like this. You could not be able to even meet with God. So one of the things that I despised about two years ago, there's no way in... From, from, there's no way we can shut down the house of God. People need to experience the presence of God. I'm just telling you. And while there is a season to be wise about some of how we handled that, no, 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 the, the church is not optional. There's a lot of things that they said were not, you know, that were, what was the word? Not necessary, but essential. That were not essential. Look, I like a good football game, but the NFL is not essential. All of those things were true of Simon the leper. The leper. What thing are you branded with? What, what, maybe what disease do you have? I know some of you are dealing with some issues, physical issues that are very real. In this room, I, looking across the room, I know some of you are experiencing, have experienced some things. But I would challenge you that while it might be something that's on a sticker right now, well, let me put down, I, I'm not a leper. Well, let me just use this one. It just says bald, okay? <laughs> and I, or let me put this one on here. Because there came a season when I was about 35 and started pastoring. I felt like 10,000 horses sat on my chest. Anxiety. Man, I'd never be able to. I don't know how to help these people. <laughs> it was none of you. Actually, it was some of you. It's just, I guess, just, I just got, I got anxiety. What's amazing when I read this portion of scripture, read the words again that are behind me. It says, now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a man who would have owned a house, was not allowed to be around people, would have to live away from his house, suddenly finds himself pulling the name tag off of whatever it is that he was labeled with and puts it aside in the, he doesn't go to the house of God, the God of the house comes to his house. This is what the world says he was, and yet sitting in his living room along with a whole bunch of other people in his house, Jesus. Sometimes you have to see beyond the present label to hear what heaven is saying about you. Some other shortcomings. Grew up without anything. We didn't, low income or my family had a bad reputation. Island. <laughs> I am woman, hear me roar. Okay. 
My parents were divorced. I had family members who weren't there. I didn't do great in school. I didn't get into the college that I wanted to be in. I had somebody interrupting while I was trying to do my thing. <laughs> I don't know what the shortcomings that you face are. Some of you, some of you, there's a couple of you in this room, I've watched you be wronged. I've watched where the enemy through other people have attacked your life. And you've fallen short. I mean, there's a legitimate gap because of what was done to you or what happened in your world. But if there's anything that I've learned is whatever that is that's on you, that name, that, that nickname that's been applied to your identity, your shortcomings are nothing but the gap that God will fill with a miraculous provision as you trust him to make up the difference. Every shortcoming that I've experienced in life, God has shown up and built a bridge over that shortcoming. In fact, it's my shortcomings that are what makes God so big. I grew up in, a, I grew up in an 800-square-foot house where my parents slept in a nook on a bed. They didn't have their own bedroom. I never dreamed I would own a house. I don't know how many houses in my lifetime that I've owned. It's way too many, way too many brand new houses that I've owned. I've owned rental prop. How is that even possible? Only God. The first rental house I owned, it was only God. It was out of such a shortcoming. It was like I was going to lose the first house I owned. And out of that desperate moment, saying, God, I need you to fill the gap. God filled the gap, and a year later, I owned two houses, and one of them was a rental. God is the shortcoming gap filler. If you refuse to allow the shortcoming to be your identity, if you invite God into the shortcoming, then the nickname is, oh, God, look what God did. I didn't have the money to go to school, but... You know, it's the biggest, most beautiful butt on the planet. The good butts, right? Nothing stinky about this butt. These are the good butts. My family had a reputation, but God. We didn't have money, but God. I didn't know anybody in the industry, but God. Fill in, fill in your scenario. God is able to overcome those. How about, and I've just got a little bit of time left here. How about ditching the nickname of the opinion of others? You know, the, the, the names that other people have put on you. Oh, by the way, I've got some other shortcomings here that I didn't put on me. I was kicked out of my first year of college. I was invited to never come back. <laughs> Jenny's like, oh, come on. I was, we, we could tell. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody you failed at something? Especially in the last couple of years? I had sat with another pastor and I was sharing my heart with him. I was telling him, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling right now. This is going back five or six years. This is going back maybe even longer than that. And at one point he says, you want me to, you, I'm going to tell you exactly what your problem is, Steve. You're not an encourager. Unfortunately, he was 100% true, accurate. But man, it stung. You don't encourage anybody. Nobody? 
No, you, know, you set the bar up and you invite people to get to the bar, but when they hit the bar, you don't even acknowledge it, and then you invite them to the next bar, which is very true. I'm not a very good encourager. How about this? I had some dialogue with a family member at the beginning of the pandemic, one of the other Christians in my family. I don't have a lot of contact, but she watched a video of one of our church services, and I've had some criticism in the last couple of years, haven't we all? I'm not a victim here. But the strongest, worst, most difficult encouragement came from a family member who said, what kind of man of God are you? You don't even preach the word. How about this? This has probably happened to some of you. I know this one's happened to me here in the last couple of years. Actually, it's happened all of my life as a pastor because while you're loved to greet everyone as they arrive, eventually people do, for different reasons, leave the one they left. Anybody had somebody leave you this year? Maybe last year? Maybe the year before? You wanted to leave them, but they left you. Because you're not someone who leaves other people. You believe in long-suffering. You believe in being there till the end. Opinion of others. You know, it's really interesting when you look at the scripture, Genesis chapter 35, verse 18. Can you imagine this moment? Uh, you know, um, as we look at scripture there, we've got uh, the, tw- the, the 12 sons, really the 12 sons of Israel are in the process. Of la- the, the final son is being born, Benjamin. And as he's being born, his mom is dying, and so in her last breath, she actually names him Ben-Onai, which means son of my sorrow. You want to talk about a nickname that will stick, the nickname of a family member who labels you with something of how you have taken away from them. And it does happen. While there's celebrations of us coming into the world, some of you have heard things like, you were a mistake, we didn't really want you. And I want you to know that heaven has always wanted you. And the kingdom of God welcomes you with a loud applause from the moment you come into this world. But those nicknames will stick. This dad realized the trauma that the mom was going through. Sometimes people will give an opinion about you, not truly based on you, but it's out of their own hurt. So one of the things that I've really appreciated about Scripture Scripture has helped me to understand that really this young Benoni, or son of my sorrow, what is said of him is not really based on anything that he's done. It's based on the pain that the person speaking is going through. You know that some of the worst criticisms about you that have come out of other people's mouths has come because of the deep pain that they've been going through? You know, Jesus said something amazing. While they were crucifying him, you know what he said? Father, forgive them. And that would be great in and of itself, but he says something else that's really amazing. For they do not know what they're doing. Do you know that some of the opinions that others have shared about you, they've shared to you or to other people, they did not know what they were doing. Oh, no, no, no. They knew what they were doing. I'm telling you, they didn't probably really know what they were doing. 
They didn't have all the pieces. They couldn't see all the things. In fact, hurt people, this is something you learn in scripture, hurt people, hurt people. Some of the harshest things that have ever been done to you that have hurt you the deepest have actually not happened because of who you are. It's because of the person who's put that label on you. They were going through something terrible and you just happen to be in their world. We're always going to be at the mercy of the opinions of others, but not all opinions weigh the same. It's important to know what heaven thinks about you. Every time, almost every time that heaven spoke to someone and gave their opinion, it's pretty remarkable what heaven thought. Gideon felt like a chicken, hiding. Great warriors in his nation's past, but he certainly wasn't one. Angel shows up and says, hello, mighty warrior. Excuse me? Because heaven can see through the labels and heaven can actually see destiny that's been spoken from the beginning over your life. Heaven can see what has yet to develop. And if you catch a glimpse of that, you'll be able to lean into it, amen? Let me say this final thing. You're, you're certainly not your, uh, oh, I went back too far, your worst act. Anybody you've done something pretty bad? Anybody you've ever told a lie? A few times stories I've told about Rowena aren't 100% accurate. Anybody you've ever stolen anything? Anybody you've ever been drunk, driven drunk, done stupid stuff under the influence? Your worst act. You know, in the book of Joshua, there's a woman named Rahab that the moment God shows up in her world and interrupts her world, the Bible says that she's a prostitute. Not a profession to be proud of, but it's a profession that's been around for a long time. That people find themselves in, not planning it out, but it, it, they find themselves there. I don't think anybody goes to school you know, for that profession. It's something that circumstances lead to. You'll find that your worst acts are usually it's kind of like breaking bad. It's like one poor decision leads a little off, and then on the next poor decision, the next thing you know, you're over in the tule bushes, whatever those are. I'm not sure. Why don't you stand with me and let me read you um, something. You're not your worst act. No doubt in this room, there's some pretty bad acts. There's some pretty bad moments. There's some pretty bad seasons of time in all of our lives. You are not that. This woman, while she was a prostitute, she is listed in both the lineage of Mary and the lineage of Joseph as being in the lineage of the Son of God from Adam down to Jesus. This woman is listed because while her worst act was part of her life and it was one of the nicknames given to her, she was able to eventually see 
heaven's name for her and buy into the identity that heaven had for her. I want to read you just a couple quick verses. Are you laughing behind me? I heard somebody smirk behind me. Um, Isaiah 62, verse 2, Old Testament. The nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name. In fact, it's really not a new name. It's the name heaven gave to you at conception, but that you might not know. Because the truth is, when this John the Baptist was born, the reason why he was named John was not because it was a family name, not because it was a popular name. It's because the angel spoke and said, a son is coming, heaven wants you to name him John. And the name John, I've got it written somewhere is here. I think it, it means um, honored by God. John the Baptist is actually, and John, the name John was given by heaven. You have a name that's bigger than any one of these tags assigned by heaven. Not only is it found here in the book of Isaiah, but as you read the book of Revelation, it says in chapter two, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it that no one knows except the one who receives it. In other words, heaven wants to bring a revelation to you of what heaven says about you. God wants you to know who you really are. He wants you to catch a vision of who you really are. Revelation 3, 12, it says this, um, the one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him several things. Apparently tattoos are biblical. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God, from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Your name as a scribe, your identity as a scribe by heaven. It's not, you're not somebody with a disease. You're not somebody who failed. You're not someone who sinned. You're not somebody who your family says nothing but a loser drunk. You're not somebody who in high school they said, ah, oh, you're, you're loose. You're not somebody who had an abortion. You're not somebody who lied and stole. All of these things need to be pulled off and they will not come off easily. They will not come off in one piece. But there needs to be a divine pissed offness. Am I allowed to say that behind the pulpit? There, there needs to be a divine irritation. I'm tired of, of, of believing something that is untrue about me and I'm going to be who God says I am. It's time for you to be the person that God says that you are not who somebody who was mad at you or didn't love you like heaven loves you. I know it looks like a mess, but it's part of the process. It's not easy. Just with your hands lifted, I just want you to, just standing in the presence, I know that God's presence is here. In the next couple of minutes, I'm gonna ask him to do what I cannot do through preaching but I know that he can do with just the breath of his nostrils. The truth of his word, the Holy Spirit's able to speak truth to you. I don't know what prominent nickname that you wear, 
that's a lie, but it's time for you to identify that nickname and say, be done. It's done. I am not that person. I'm not who you said I was. I am who heaven says I am. I refuse to bow to that lie. I, I refuse to be imprisoned by the past. I refuse to be incarcerated by the words of somebody who was struggling. I refuse to be limited by my circumstance. I refuse to allow my past to dictate my future. I am not even who I think I am at times. I am who heaven says I am. I am who scripture reveals me to be. The thoughts of heaven are what the scriptures say about me. I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. The thoughts of heaven are numerous, beyond count. Heaven is always thinking about me. If God has planned my success, not my failure, my feet are destined for the throne room of glory. I will someday stand before the king and I am destined to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. There are moments when I'm not sure why would I even serve God? I'll probably screw that up. And yet the word of God prophesies about my future that there will be the day I will step into the throne room and look upon him, my eyes, as Job said, and not another, and I will hear, well done. The fact that I could do it well is beyond me. Every, every sentence of this world tells me I cannot do it. Yet I stand here and I hear what heaven says. I will not only do it, but I will do it well. I will parent well. I will father well. I will be a, a, I'll do well as a spouse. I will do well in business. I will do well in generosity. I will do well as a man of God. I will do well as a friend. And when all of the other things would throw other nicknames, I will believe the word of God. Father, I pray for the ability and the clarity to hear what you are saying. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You have been lied to over and over and over and over and over and over, and you have bought into the lie and you regurgitate the lie over yourself. You are not who they say you are. You are who heaven says you are. You are a son of the king. You are a daughter of the king. You are not sick. You are destined to be well. You are not destined to be less than. You are destined to be greater than. Because that is who God is. There's a great word in scripture. It's called amen. A freaking men, if you really need to put some hot sauce on that baby. Mm, amen. You are not who they said you were. Amen. Not who I think I am, because sometimes I think pretty low. Amen. I'm not, I'm not who I'm afraid I might be. Amen. 
You are going to do well. You are going to excel. You are going to experience great things. You're going to make a couple of blunders, but you're going to win a lot more than you lose. You are going to be healed. You are going to serve God. People are going to admire you because of the touch of God on your life. You are not an eternal screw-up. You are not that guy that everybody's going to always leave. Jesus ain't never leaving you. I'll never leave you or never forsake you. And his people won't either. His people. Not the people who say they're his people. Okay, I don't know how to, I don't know how to dismiss into whatever we're doing in the other room. I pray for you one last time. Be okay. Can I, can I look at you in the eye? I'm telling you, there's so many things in scripture, but this is like what everything hinges off. If you will believe what God says about you, do you understand that God the Father sent his son? He believes so much in you, believes so much about your future that he sent his son to die for you. How valuable are you? You are more valuable than you've ever dreamed. You're more valuable than the person who values the most values you and significantly more than the person who has not valued you at all. You are so valuable to heaven, the Father sacrificed his only son so that you could become an adopted son, an adopted daughter. That's how much he values you. feel like a loser, you feel like a failure, you feel like I am who they say I am, not who they, I'm not who they say I am, I am who you say I am. The value is set by the one putting the valuation on. I've learned anything on Craigslist, that great biblical, you know, family of economists, it's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for. You can think it's worth a trillion dollars, but if ain't nobody paying, if somebody's willing to give their life, it must be worth a life. God sent his son. That makes me say, I'll be a son. Teach me. Come on. Teach me, Lord, to be a son. Teach me to be a daughter. Father, I pray over your people. I pray they have that revelation of your worth, your ascribed value of them. Help them to walk in it. Help them to carry themselves that way because it's an unusual fragrance that will attract others. Allow your people to step into a stinky world with that fragrance of value from heaven and allow it to be an attractant. They're only somebody because of who you are and what you've done, but that is everything. And so Lord, let them step into their day, their week, their months ahead. Let us step as a church into that new facility so that people can discover who you are and in the process discover who they are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.